Welcome to Postscript, the subtext after show, where we talk about things related and unrelated to the week's episode. This is Aaron Olanik. And this is Wes Alwyn. Okay, so we just recorded on Annie Hall. That's like a dream come true for me to, you know, I always wanted to write something about it, but of course that hasn't happened. But to just to have a public conversation about that is great. Yeah, what would you write about if you could write about it? What would be the, just the idea of n- nostalgia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I, there's an essay I want to do kind of with regard to Woody Allen films in general, because I think that sort of finds its way into everything he does. That's great. Well, I really enjoyed what you had to say about that. It's really enlightening. Likewise, likewise. Oh, we're, we need to talk about how Mike Nichols used crack, according yes. to an upcoming biography. <laughs> so, yeah. So for listeners, we, we have like a little slack to communicate and we have some channels like we have a, like a reading and viewing log in our postscript channel. I just threw up this thing about page six. I don't know what publication that is, but Mike Nichols used crack upcoming biography claims. I basically, I get these in my Google news feed because in preparing for the graduate episode, I must've Googled him. And therefore now I must, you know, Google news must inform me every time something happens (laughs) with respect to Mike Nichols. And like, I get alert after alert about one salacious detail after another from this new biography. (laughs) So, and you said, I doubt this very much. Yeah, I do doubt it. But, you know, he was very productive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned in a different Slack channel that you couldn't get through Clue. Yeah, sorry. Could you explain that, please? And give your defense before (laughs) sentencing? I just, I hated it. What? Okay, you have to be, first of all, got to be a little bit drunk. (laughs) Yeah. Second of all, you've got to be in a big group of people. Yeah. And third of all, you need me to do my Madeline Kahn voice (laughs) along with Madeline Kahn and everything she says. So. Now you have to do that voice. You can't just I hated her so much. I just, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) That's great. It's great. It's a great, uh, yeah, it's really campy. And it takes a little work to kind of like get on the, the wavelength of the movie. But I, if you're not on the same wavelength, you know, it can be hard to get there. Maybe it's a mood thing. I think Yeah. my reaction to movies actually varies significantly according to my mood. Usually Annie Hall, for instance, is a transplendent <laughs> experience. <laughs> I thought it was more Kafka-esque, but I <laughs> mean that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time it wasn't. I, it might have been just because I had to do it and I was taking notes to the whole thing and pausing, you know, and just like, oh, God. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've turned this into work now. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's just in the past, every viewing has just been this, for me, it's kind of sublime. But So yes, I can give Clue another try. I can pick up where I left off and see what happens. You know, it's a movie that comes in at like a very high pitch. It's like, you know, hard to meet that craziness and the zaniness of the movie if you're not kind of gelling with it. So I, I kind of understand that. I think I've probably turned it off before because I was just like, oh, I can't do this right now. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me though, something that you watched a while ago, but we never talked about. And I was just curious to hear your reaction about My Favorite Wife. I know that was a, a while ago now, but did you like that? Yes, I really did. I loved like the first half and uh, I can't give all the details on this, but I thought it got a little bogged down. So what I think happens in a lot of movies is like act two is really hard to sustain. It's like sometimes twice as long as acts one and three. And it's a sort of a lot of transitional stuff before, you know, as you get into the third act and things really start with, you get a lot more momentum towards the climax. It's a place where screenplays generally bogged down. So it's not an uncommon thing. And I'm, you know, I think it's part of my impatience now and 
<laughs> so it's partly my problem. Although like the second act, I think is one, one thing that Annie Hall does really, really well in part because it's, I think free association works very well. We didn't go a lot into it in the, in the episode, but the, you know, a lot of the transitions in the movie, it's not just moving forward in time. One thing happens after the other, it's, it's mental free association. And I think somehow that gives more momentum to the second act because there's kind of a psychological urgency to it. So coming back to this movie, I just, I think I'm towards the end of the second act, I was getting um, impatient, but I loved, loved, loved the first half of the movie. And um, I was pausing occasionally to try to do my, to practice my Cary Grant accent, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm not going to try to do do here. I can do a little Christopher Walken, but I can't do Cary Grant. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, though, about Annie Hall, it's just like, it's so fast. You know, it goes so quickly. It so speedily chugs along, and it's so inventive. It does, but by the way, the the shots are on average 14 seconds long, which is very, very long. Yeah, yeah. um, Most movies are four to six seconds or something. But it does chug along, as you say, yeah. Yeah, and the inventiveness of it is is amazing. But um, but yeah, so my favorite wife is... Uh, I think it's my favorite life. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It was supposed to be directed by Leo McCary. And so p- part of the reason why that movie is so disjointed is because Garson Kanan ended up having to step in and direct it mm. unexpectedly. And so it was actually, it was a huge disappointment, I think, for Irene Dunn, like creatively, because she thought that it was going to be as inventive and fun as the awful truth and she actually complained about the exact same thing that you're complaining about but one of the things that i read so i i've been reading this carrie grant biography Mm. um that that just came out did he do crack as well (laughs) no he did do lsd i mean but that's pretty well documented (laughs) but uh anyway the reason why so he got into a car accident mccary because he was driving drunk at 95 miles an hour when he slammed into a 1924 packard it was, it was really serious. It said the accident report lists multiple burns, gouge wounds, lacerations, and contusions, broken bones, and a possible skull fracture. Wow. Then there was this little sort of ending part to this section on My Favorite Wife in this book, which really shook me, <laughs> to use the term that the kids are using, <laughs> which is that, well, first of all, he, he emerged from the accident kind of like never being the same. But also that McCary and Irene Dunn, like she was a very devout Catholic, happily married. But the two of them had this like weird, sexy vibe between them where she, I guess, was like kind of interested in him. And he was super interested in her. And it said that he went to his deathbed saying that the fact that he had never slept with Irene Dunn was the greatest frustration of his life. (laughs) (laughs) And I just like could not get over that. Anyway. Yeah, well, so, it's the great, greatest frustration of my life as well. I, mean, I never even <laughs> met her. <laughs> I just couldn't get over that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so as you were telling me that you had watched My Favorite Wife, I, I was reading that mm. going, oh my God, I just couldn't get over it. This is a new biography of Cary Grant? It is, yeah. It's, oh. um, it's Cary Grant, A Brilliant Disguise by Scott Eamon, or Eamon. Um, a couple of biographies came out about him just recently, and there were two of them that were reviewed by uh, David Thompson recently, I think, in LRB or TLS, hmm. one of those places. And he said that both of them are kind of essential, so once I'm done with this, I'm going to have to go go read the Great. other one, too. Can you do a Cary Grant accent, by the way? Um, no, I won't. I won't do it <laughs> publicly. I kind of got this impression 
the scene where Diane Keaton and Woody Allen are on the roof, she had to have been doing an Irene Dunn impression. And I looked it up, and I guess in an interview, she did say that she was doing an Irene Dunn impression during that. Why? Mm, uh huh. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that whole thing. Oh, I see. I think it's very. She gets the cadence exactly right in mm. that. So interesting. Yeah. Everything goes back to to Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. What can I say? <laughs> they are the er romance. So I also watched Throne of Blood, which I nice. thoroughly enjoyed, even though in the beginning I'm like, uh, am I really going to be just watch Samurais? Am I really just going to watch them yell at each other for <laughs> two hours? So much yelling. <laughs> but it's amazing. Wow. It's just such yeah. a mesmerizing. I mean, I guess a lot of it is vi- is in the visuals, you know? Yeah. It is very, it's like you go into a Zen state when you watch it. The Lady Macbeth character is so creepy and because she's so, you know, she has a kind of very passive on the surface demeanor, but her manipulativeness is, you know, so insidious. It, it, it makes more sense than overtly than, than Macbeth, like it, than in Macbeth. She's trying to make him paranoid, right? She's giving him plausible reasons to be, you know, get them before they get you kind of thing. So it's more nakedly about self-preservation in a way that she's appealing to his idea that as he rises the only way to preserve himself is to be ruthless something like that whereas in Macbeth it doesn't quite make any sense you know this idea that there's an urgency to killing Duncan just because there's a prophecy so so there's a there's a greater realism involved but um I just find her so creepy in a way that um it's quite gripping Mm, yeah she's really great in that and the same with the witch yeah oh so weird yeah i like that little hut too it's really what is it a spindle Mm mm-hmm yeah and just the way the the witch talks and a kind of sing-songy great film yeah oh and by the way i watched something called abigail's party have you ever seen that no haven't never even heard of it this is a trip it's a basically a filmed play that was on bbc but it was it was a successful play in the 70s i think 77 same year as annie hall i am so predictable in my my taste it's all like late 60s 70s early 80s and then everything else i just can't (laughs) doesn't (laughs) doesn't do it for me as much with some exceptions but but it's a uh it's directed by mike lee oh nice I think it was a there's a play at the Hampstead Theater before they did a recording of it for BBC's play for today. I don't even know how to describe it. They call it a it's Wikipedia. They describe it as a suburban situation comedy of ma- manners hmm. and a satire on the aspirations and tastes of the new middle class that emerged in Britain in the 1970s. So Abigail is, is someone who actually doesn't never appears in the play, but the main character Beverly Moss is just is out of this world. And I don't even know how to describe what she is exactly. You just have to see this. You know, it's like so darkly comic. There's not a lot of laugh out loud moments, but it's intense. And uh, huh. you're sort of on your on the edge of your seat. So anyway, yeah, you should. Where, where, where can I find it? I'm really interested in. Well, unfortunately, it's not really. A v- well, actually, no, YouTube. 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 Okay, yeah, it's free great. on YouTube. But otherwise. Who's you- in it? Is there anyone good in it? Yeah, so it's uh, Allison Stedman plays Beverly. Oh no way! The you, the Mrs. Bennett. Yes. Oh my yes. gosh! Exactly right. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I forgot that. Tim Stern plays Lawrence. Okay, I don't. don't uh, know Janine Duvitsky, who didn't have much of a career. Yeah, I don't think many of these people had much of a career. Okay. 
I will watch it with you again. I would love to watch it again. So maybe we could watch it together. Sure. It is dark. So hopefully you won't hate me after we're done watching it. But <laughs> No, that's okay. What about you? What have you been? I know you, well, we already talked about the fact that you're reading Great Expectations. Oh yeah, I finished that. Which I don't, I started, I don't know that I'm going to get done in time for the next one. So we'll have to talk about what the next episode is going to be. Oh, okay. Yeah. I could try to like force myself to try to get it done in two weeks. I'm a little nervous about that. No, 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 no. You should enjoy it. Yeah. Maybe we could do another movie. Could we do a back-to-back movie or would that be? Yeah. So let's think about a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've done some heavy stuff in a row. So. Yeah. So what are you, uh, what else are you reading or watching? Let's see. Well, yesterday was uh, Jean Moreau's birthday. So I watched Elevator to the Gallows again, rewatched it. Um, Since I finished Great Expectations, I watched the David Lean adaptation of it, which I had never seen and which I really did not like. I know it's supposed to be a classic, but I didn't like it. John Mills looked like he was 40 playing a 20-year-old Pip. Um, (laughs) And uh, Alec Guinness was like, oh, man, what an unattractive young guy he was i mean that's not like mm. relevant to anything but um <laughs> he just looked like so really? weird through the whole thing yeah well, he's he attractive really when he's older guy. right yeah i thought you know i mean obi-wan is fine and uh, obviously his movies in the like 50s are hilarious i wasn't really paying attention but he just looks so weird his his head looks like an egg in this it's very strange but uh anyway and they i, I was annoyed by you know, at the beginning, I was like, wow, you know, they're really staying close to the book. Like, this is the performances weren't exactly what I had envisioned, but the the settings were all like really vividly um, drawn from the book. And I was really impressed because for the first 25 minutes or so, I thought, wow, if this is a, a 90 minute movie, how are they going to do everything? justice the way that they're doing it right now in the first 25 minutes you know Mm. it was like word for word out of the book not quite but you know everything was happening in order and and with a lot of attention paid to it and then everything started kind of collapse and then and i wasn't happy with miss havisham um it was like she was on ludes or something she was like (laughs) relaxed and in the book she's she's such a vibrant like crazy almost like a vaudevillian kind of uh, kind of nightmare character and she was way too dignified and and then the the ending was all messed up and so i i got more and more upset and it was also like really boring in the middle which it is in in, in the book at all mm. so i was really disappointed and then i tried watching a bbc adaptation of it with the one with charlotte rampling playing miss havisham and it was all screwed up whatever version they have for free on amazon was like skipping and there were these mm pink slashes through the the picture Weird. yeah and and then we tried like switching to the second episode and seeing if that was any better and it was not the second episode it was so it was weird hmm. anyway i'm gonna have to try and find some other longer bbc version of it to watch though none of them were as highly rated on imdb anyway as the david lean which is obviously considered a, a classic though i don't really know why i mean it's beautifully shot but um hmm. it was disappointed okay yeah. Are you reading anything else? Well, I'm I'm about to teach Pride and Prejudice, uh, so I've been rereading that again. And otherwise, no, I'm kind of in a fallow period right now. I would like to go straight into another Dickens, but I, I think that if we record on Great Expectations, I'm going to get confused if I go into another one t- <laughs> too quickly. But yeah, I really whetted my appetite for a long, another long novel for the long winter stretch. So I might I might do Bleak House after... We record on Great Expectations, maybe. Bleak House is my favorite Dickens. Haven't read it since I was in high school, maybe. I'm, I, I like this idea that I'm 
I'm getting into all these rereads of these long novels. They feel so luxurious and uh, wonderful to slip into at night, you know, in bed. And I'd been staying up way later than I should have just because I couldn't put it down. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We got two nice reviews recently. Yep. What a wonderful podcast. Wes and Aaron are two erudite, but equally humble, personable hosts. I don't think I've ever been called humble before. <laughs> well, you fooled this person. No. That's what I do. <laughs> That's why I do this. <laughs> Fool people. <laughs> anyway, very nice to get those views. We had our first ad. Oh, yeah. On um, Auden. Second, our second Auden episode, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a trip to do that. <laughs> Is that the first time like conversation about a poem has been sponsored by <laughs> drugs? It's a word we weren't allowed to say in the ad itself. <laughs> yep. Sell enough drugs, you can keep doing poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been a Brave New World episode, but oh well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.